thanks for connecting with our online content at Holy Trinity Church in Richmond. We really hope that what we share with you will be a blessing and will help you to continue to grow in your knowledge and love of God. journey now in 1 Peter for quite a while. Uh, I think this is bringing up week seven of the series, and I just wonder if over the last two or three weeks you've noticed in the four areas that Peter has highlighted, where he's looked at authority, uh, submitting to authorities, he's talked about living in the world, he's talked about living in the workplace and living at home, have you picked up on the argument that has been flowing through those four big sections? I'm hoping a light bulb is going on for you now, but if it's not, I'm going to refresh your mind and you'll say, of course, that makes total sense. I was right there with you, Zane. He's applied the same argument. He said to avoid the sin which wages war against your souls. He's talking about that sin that entangles us, that kind of slowly, little by little, draws us away from Jesus. He says, resist the temptation to do evil when evil is done to you, and instead, in the power of Jesus, do good to those people. That's been the theme, that's been the pattern of his argument. When you are pulled towards evil, look to Jesus and do good instead. To avoid that sin which damages ourselves and dishonors the Lord Jesus, we've been encouraged time and time again to turn from our heart's desire to do evil and to do good instead. And Peter has shown us the spiritual outworking of living that choice of choosing Jesus' way. We remain close to him. As we trace his pattern, as we take our hearts and our thoughts captive and turn away from opposing those who harm us or rebelling against the powers over us or putting our trust in our outward appearances or nagging or trying to control others with strength and power or uh, getting even with the people who bump into us in the life of the church, we've been encouraged to look at living Jesus' way instead. He's shown us that that will make us close to our Lord. Well, today, Peter turns our attention to the fear that we face when we are threatened because of our faith in Jesus and how we can respond in a way that is pleasing to him to the pressure that that puts us under. As we work through this passage this morning, we're going to consider the threat of non-Christian opposition in verses 13 to 17. And then we're going to look at the basis of Christian confidence in verses 18 to 22. We're going to do that as Peter prepares us for when opposition comes. Not if opposition comes, but when opposition comes our way. We're going to hear him call us to remember Jesus' ultimate victory so that we can avoid two tendencies for Christians, to either clam up and shrink in fear or to go out there spoiling for a fight. We know where we're going, why don't we pray? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this letter that has been encouraging us as we live in a time where the world is changing around us and we're suffering for our faith. Lord, sometimes it's just a feeling of pressure but sometimes fear does well up inside us. And so we pray this morning that as we look at your word, you would speak to us by it in the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would bring it alive in our hearts and minds so that we can look to Jesus' victory as a place of confidence. We ask it in his name and for his glory. 
Amen. Well, Peter has described over the last few weeks how our relationship with God deepens as he hears our prayers and turns his face towards us, a wonderful symbol of his favor when we choose to turn from evil and do good instead, enacting, living out, embodying our real faith in the Lord Jesus. That is the spiritual result of living his way, a greater dependence and delight in the Lord. And Peter also shows us this morning what a natural response might be. Look at verse number 13. He said, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? If we live in a godly way, there will be cases where people find us to be a Christian conundrum. They're not going to get our thinking and our ideas which are so out of step with the world around us. People that we bump into in the real world are going to be confused by things like celibacy outside of marriage. It makes no sense. Or faithfulness in it. It's confusing to our world today. They'll be thoroughly confused when we choose not to be drunk with wine, but instead are full with the joy of the Holy Spirit. That's madness to the world around us. They're going to be perplexed and maybe even agitated when we insist that God made men and women. They're going to be upset when we insist even more that God made men and women equal but complementary with different roles in the world. But Peter says they may find our lives appealing and see the good, even though they don't get our thinking, if we live in a way that is doing good to others and let us live in peace. Who is going to harm you? But Peter's also realistic. Remember, he's living under the rule of Emperor Nero. Christians can live a godly way. But Peter's realistic. You might just suffer for it. You could find that life is being made difficult for you because you look and sound a bit like Jesus. You could face threats from people who disagree with your beliefs, just like Peter and the first century Christians that he's writing to. It happens today, doesn't it? Here are a couple of recent cases from the UK. This is a picture of Derek Timms. Uh, Derek Timms was a businessman turned chaplain at a hospice where he was told that he would face consequences and needed retraining if he refused to remove a half-inch pin with a cross on it from his jumper. You probably can't see it from there, it's so small. It's a tiny little gold blip on his jersey. And he was told that some people in the hospice might be deeply offended if he continued to wear that symbol. And so Derek felt pressured to leave his ministry at the hospice and now doesn't do it at all. This is Sayi Omumba. She was cast in a production of the award-winning musical The Colour Purple on West End. But when another West End actor dug up a biblical Facebook post where she reaffirmed marriage as God's pattern of a man and a woman for life, from four years earlier, she was pressured out of the role in the show. And later, she was dropped by her acting agency after citing a fake news report about her that was unsubstantiated. Sayi's career as an actor was impacted. When we hear those kind of stories, that can make us fearful, can't it? Fearful of the pressure that can be applied to us because we believe in Jesus. But there's also another kind of terror hinted at in verse 15, which isn't obvious in English. It's the fear of ending up before the courts. Peter knew what that was like himself this afternoon. Check out Acts chapter 4, verses 15 to, uh, 5 to 12, and you will see Peter having to give an account before the courts for his faith in Jesus. And some of us, as we see the changing tide and culture in the world around us, maybe we're worried that we could face those kind of days again. This is Sean O'Sullivan. 
He came to Christ after overcoming drug addiction and a life of crime. Sean became a street preacher, wanting to share the faith that he had found, the good news of Jesus, with anybody who would listen. A member of the public came to Sean as he was sharing the good news of Jesus and said that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. And so Sean started to address the beliefs of Islam and compared and contrasted Jesus and Muhammad to show that they were different. He then did the same between Jesus and Buddha to show the very difference, the uniqueness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that, Sean was arrested by the police in Swindon Town Centre in March 2020 and charged with a public order offence. Sean ended up before the courts where he had to defend himself. As the political and social landscapes change around us, that can cause us to fear, can't us? And we ask, when we are threatened, like these people that we've just heard of, what should the follower of Jesus do? When opposition comes, how are you and I to respond? Well, we're told by Peter to remember Jesus's ultimate victory. In verse 14, we are encouraged to remember that God has blessed his chosen people. We're to meditate on all that Jesus has given us through his victory on the cross. When suffering comes, we're once again encouraged not to return insult with insult or evil with evil. We're not meant to recoil and feel down in the mouth or wallow in self-pity. But instead, Jesus views this opposition as a blessing. Jesus, knowing how the redeemed would be treated, has given us a wonderful hope. Listen to these words from Matthew 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you're suffering because of your faith in Jesus, I think that gives us a wonderful assurance. His word and his promises are true. He told us it was going to happen, and it is. The hope we have is real. The opposition we face doesn't take our Lord by surprise. It's a natural result of our loyalty to Jesus. Our suffering is in line with the prophets of old. It's not a new thing for the people of God. And it resonates with the life of Jesus himself, who was insulted and reviled. So when opposition comes, remember Jesus' ultimate victory, which came with suffering. And we are to count as a blessing, as it forces us more and more to rely on our Lord. We're also told not to be fearful. Look at verse 15. But do not fear. Revere Jesus in your hearts. It sounds easy, doesn't it? Don't fear. Don't worry. But for Christian people living in the first century, there was a very real danger of suffering as they swam against the tide of the culture around them. It would have been very easy, very easy to fear to clam up, to assimilate, and just look the same as everybody else. Keep your head down and don't say anything controversial. But Peter says, don't fear. Now remember who is writing. Peter. This is Peter who feared the crowd in Gethsemane and took off into the dark when they came to arrest Jesus. This is Peter who feared the servant girl 
and lied to her about even knowing Jesus. This is Peter, who feared the same fate as his Lord, and instead of revering him, denied him three times. In those moments, Peter's fear swallowed him up, didn't it? And having lived through that experience and been restored by the Lord Jesus himself, now Peter, who knows what it's like to shrink back, he's encouraged us three times to show God fear and proper reverence. He's done it in chapter 2, verse 27, verse 18, and chapter 3, verse 2. And as he looks at this idea of fear and not fearing the word world, he starts to point us to who we should fear. He draws on imagery he's already taken us to from Isaiah 8. And there he described Jesus as a rock which causes people to stumble and fall. Eric preached about it. And now he takes us there again, showing that Jesus is the Lord of hosts. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13. Peter is reminding us who we should fear. Not people who can harm the body, but the Lord Almighty who judges the world. If we revere Christ as Lord, if we believe he is truly the Messiah and the Son of God, the Lord, then even if they come and drag us off to court, even if they make us suffer whatever they can in our bodies, we can hold fast to Jesus knowing that he is the Lord and that we are thoroughly safe in his hands. So when opposition comes in the form of questioning us, either formally or informally, we are told always be prepared to give an answer. Give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Church, if we find ourselves in hostile situations, we're not meant to clam up and shrink back we're to honestly give account for our beliefs, for our way of living, as we point to the glorious hope that we have because of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And what's more, Peter tells us how to do it. In verse 15, he says, speak to them with gentleness and respect. I think there are two paths that opposed or threatened Christians of either take. We've looked at the first one, which is to kind of shrink back and say nothing, to live our lives just the same as everybody else, assimilating with the world rather than sticking out and looking different, to kind of clam up in fear and fail to revere Jesus as Lord. But there is also another group of Christians, and these are the Christians who are spoiling for a fight, who go out looking for trouble. You probably find them on Facebook. They're keen to start a scrap, sometimes at the smoko work, at smoko room at work or online. They're the people that are spoiling for a fight so that they can just get their point across and beat someone else down, making a stand for Jesus. I expect most of us have seen the movie The Lion King. Uh, Mufasa, the king of lions, in all of his strength, having just beaten a bunch of pesky hyenas, chastises his young son Simba who has put himself needlessly into a difficult situation, a dangerous situation. He could have been killed. And little Simba says, but dad, I just wanted to be brave like you. And Mufasa replies, Simba, being brave doesn't mean you go looking for trouble. Sometimes as Christians, we go somewhere we shouldn't be, looking for an opportunity to show how brave we are, 
beating our chest and saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We can be brave. We can give an account of our love for the Lord Jesus and what he's done for us and why we live the way we live when we need to. But while we're giving that account, we can be gentle and respectful as we give the reason for our hope in Jesus. Don't be a Christian bother boy spoiling for a fight, menacingly looking for an argument, poking the bear wherever you can. But when an opportunity arises to give an account for your faith, let your character reflect Jesus as you give that answer. Even as you're being hard-pressed, maybe reviled for doing, saying, and living out what God calls good, there will be an opportunity to witness. Bolshe Christians who are arrogant or harsh as we give an answer for why we look different aren't going to represent or live like Jesus. We're not going to put him in a good light and show how appealing and attractive he really is. We're not going to show the character of our Lord Jesus, who is strong and mighty and yet meek and kind and gentle and compassionate. So when opposition comes, remember Jesus' ultimate victory. There is nothing to fear. We don't need to go looking for a fight. Those who oppose and insult us are going to stand ashamed on the day of Jesus' return, we're told in verse 16. When he judges the world, he will not let the shame his people suffer go unpunished because he's just. And so we can speak with gentleness and respect because Jesus is victorious. If our hope is in the Lord Jesus, then even when the world hurts us and we suffer for what God calls good and the world calls evil, we can still remain steadfast in the suffering because the vindication we hope for doesn't come from us. It comes from the Lord Jesus. He is the basis for Christian confidence when we suffer for what is right in God's eyes. And when we are threatened and frightened, he will not let us down. When opposition comes, don't clam up or spoil for a fight, but give a reason for our hope as we remember Jesus' ultimate victory. Because he is the basis of Christian confidence. Our ultimate confidence comes from Jesus' amazing victory over sin, his ultimate victory over death and the great enemy of God, Satan, who snuck into the Garden of Eden and worked his rebellious poison into the hearts and minds of human people. He has been defeated by suffering once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus has taken what was rightfully yours and mine. He's taken and paid a death penalty for our lawlessness and rejection of God, and he's brought us to God, redeemed and pure, by offering his own body as a sacrifice in our place. As Peter continues to work through the passage, I wonder if this morning, or hopefully when you looked at it through the week, you did a bit of a double take when we got to verses 19 and 20. Suddenly, we move from something which is quite routine in the Christian mind, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, that shouldn't be routine in the Christian mind, but we're pretty familiar and comfortable with that concept, right? The death and resurrection of Jesus. Suddenly, we move to him proclaiming salvation to imprisoned spirits after his resurrection and a link to Noah and the flood and the judgment. Verse 19 says that the risen Jesus went to these spirits in prison and preached. There's a couple of options. 
They look like they could be the spirits who rebelled against God in Noah's day, which we explored about 18 months ago in Genesis 6, all of those who weren't on the ark. Or there's other commentators who would say these could be the fallen angels that we read about in Scripture as well. Now, I don't want this to sound like a cop-out, but I'm landing in a place where if the biblical scholars disagree, it's unlikely that I'm going to get anywhere near really unpacking who Peter means. And yet, even if we're not powerhouse academics, I think we can still understand what Peter is driving at. Look at verse 22. Verse 22 helps us get our heads around verse 19, which is tricky and difficult. Peter's readers are facing hostile evil forces, possibly making them stand on trial before the courts. And Peter wants to give assurance that Jesus Christ has triumphed over evil. And even though Christians suffer in this life, they do not need ultimately to be afraid. Because Jesus sits at the right hand of God with all angels and authorities and powers in submission to him. What is it that Peter's telling us? He's telling us that Jesus' victory is complete. His victory is total. His victory is assured and absolute. And so he gives us an example of a situation where Jesus has clearly conquered. It's a situation that's beyond my imagination. But Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, supersedes time and space and witnesses either to the dead of Noah's day or fallen angelic beings. Now, I cannot unpack for you the mechanics of that. I don't get it. And Peter doesn't delve into it for us. Thanks, Peter. Maybe we'll put that on the list of things to ask him one day. But as Jesus went, after his death to these imprisoned spirits, he stood before them in his resurrection body, and announces to them his triumph over sin and death and evil and Satan. When opposition comes, Peter gets us to lift our eyes and remember Jesus, who has ultimate victory over evil authorities and power and even the devil himself. Jesus, the Lord, crucified, died, buried, and raised again, has ascended to heaven and sits at God's right hand. Jesus, this same Lord, has promised that he will never abandon his people, never let them see shame or decay. He's the one who's the creator of the universe, the author and perfecter of our faith, and who has absolutely destroyed the power of sin and death and Satan, who at his return will be put under his feet. So what on earth do we have to fear? What can anyone who harms us take from us? Jesus has washed us clean, Peter reassures us. He's taken the dirty rags of our lives and purified them, washing out every spot and stain which sin has made by his precious, spotless, perfect blood. That reality, our cleansing, our redemption through the death of Jesus is symbolized in baptism which is the symbolic act of going down into death and joining Jesus there and coming back up to life again with him in the resurrection. His resurrection, the thing which truly saves. What can anyone threaten a Christian who has been saved by Jesus with? What can anyone intimidate us with? The victory of Jesus 
has assured our salvation. He has defeated all powers and authorities. His ultimate victory is total and assured. So Christian, you do not need to live in fear because of the threats of others. We don't need to shrink back and water down the good news of Jesus or arrogantly go spoiling for a fight. We can gently and respectfully engage in the opportunity that opposition, threats and suffering give us to witness to our wonderful hope in Jesus who has triumphed over sin and death and Satan and is seated at the right hand of God in all power and glory and majesty. So count it a blessing when they oppose and threaten you. When opposition comes, let's pray we would remember Jesus' ultimate victory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's true that sometimes we're afraid. Sometimes we are fearful of what others would think of us or say about us. Increasingly, we are fearful about how our world responds to us and what the cost of following you will be. In the power of your spirit, would you help us to bear that cost? Knowing that there is absolutely nothing this world can take away from us that isn't safe in your hands. Lord, we pray that you would build in us a confidence in Christ's victory that would help us neither to shrink back nor spoil for a fight, but to honestly, plainly represent the hope that we have in you whenever we have the chance. In the power of your spirit, would you bring these words to mind and give us the words we need when the opportunity arises to share our hope in you. So we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. If you'd like to connect with more of our online content at Holy Trinity in Richmond, you can do that by going to our YouTube page simply by searching for Richmond Anglican Aotearoa. You can also touch base with us online at our website or on Facebook by searching with those same words. Friends, we're so thankful that you've joined us online and that you're enjoying our content. We really do hope and pray that God is blessing you through it. If you've got any feedback, you can touch base with me, zane at richmondparish.nz. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.